Hello there. Well, I have an amazing show for you today. I I didn't go back and look, but I think I've only had one other person come back to the podcast a second time. I've had a few people where we recorded a long episode and we broke it up into two episodes, but I think I've only had one other person come back. And I knew that I wanted Kara to come back and I'm pretty sure I'll have her back on again. So, you know, there are all these just amazing people out there in the world that we may not find unless they have a lot of attention on them. And in the world of social media, Instagram in particular, right? There's no blue check mark. You don't have 150,000 followers. They may not be easy to find. And, you know, all of this is divine anyway. The people that come into our awareness are the ones we're calling in and we're attracting. So it's all good anyway. But one of my favorite things to do is to feature people that you may not know about if you had not found them on the podcast. So Kara Elizabeth is someone who I respect, I trust, I have hired, I will hire again in the future. And I'm making this introduction after our interview. And it was just so rich and so good and beautiful and inspiring and educational and super insightful. So she's someone who walked away from a flourishing career as a psychotherapist. So I'm going to actually read her bio in her words. I'm a therapist gone rogue. After 15 plus years of serving in the mental health field, I left the constraints of the industry to pursue my intentions to support women to holistically heal, heal their body, their mind, and their soul from past experiences, to remember the innate wisdom of the body and embrace their wild essence. I've also been trained as a somatic practitioner, yoga instructor, Reiki master, and Nidra meditation facilitator. I use these modalities in addition to my psychotherapy training to help you journey beyond the physical, mental, and emotional impacts of the past to discover this spiritual wound. It is my intention to support the worldwide healing movement through one-on-one and group coaching, through somatic movement practices, meditations, and healing retreats in Arizona and beyond. She's amazing. So let's just get right to it, to this awesome conversation with psychotherapist, healer, practitioner, and lightworker, Kara Elizabeth. There is nothing more inspiring than a woman being unapologetically herself. The answers are all in your heart. She's waiting, she's waiting, she's waiting for you to set her free. Welcome to Be You Podcast. I'm Jill Herman, and I am so glad you're here. I was broke, insecure, and craved approval. But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still built a successful multi-million dollar business. 10 years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. 
it was far from easy. And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. Okay, so welcome back to Be You, Kara Elizabeth. Hello, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for asking me to come on again. Yeah, it's a big deal for me to have someone on two times. I could have you on more than that. I'm really, (laughs) really happy that you're back. And I, you know, as you know, I've been in contact with you on a regular basis because you are a coach for one of my family members who I've entrusted you with, one of my children. We've been more than happy with the process of that. So I've learned even more about you since you were on two years ago. And I know you have some big news. You have uh, relinquished your license as a psychotherapist. Yes, I have. It's been it's been a journey for sure. So let's start with that. Even if uh, someone listening cannot relate to that profession, I know someone listening is in a career where they feel like there's a bit of almost like they're in golden handcuffs. Like, let's talk a little bit about that, the process of giving yourself permission and how did you get to that place and why did you decide to do that? Yeah, absolutely. And since I did bring it up on social media, I've actually had a lot of different professions, people from different professions reach out and tell me the same thing, like tell me how much it helped to hear my side of the story. So it really began for me, Jill, back in 2019, I was leaving an event and I was talking to a friend and I said, well, because she was up on stage, I said, while you're up on stage, I realized I need to close my practice. And I couldn't even believe the words were coming out of my mouth. I had worked for so many years to get my independent license to get my practice. My practice was very profitable. We're talking multi six figures. I had therapists under me, we saw upwards of 150 clients a week, like it was it was big. Oh, and it wow. was a big deal. And I'm like, I need to leave this. And that began the journey of like figuring out what does this mean? And what is this about and diving into myself? And we know, as we know, 2020 happened. And I entered 2020 knowing that that was going to be my last year in practice, the lease on my building was going to be up, and it just felt like a good closure. And it was like the shutdown, it was like the going virtual was like that affirmation of my decision of giving me permission to do things differently than I had been trained or taught. Like I didn't need a brick and mortar building. I didn't need the physical clients in office. I didn't need to see people be referred by insurances or be be referred by other um, programs. Like I had this, this opening in this space to recognize that my reach was meant to be so much greater than my geographical location that my private practice could offer. So it was as hard as 2020 was for all of us. It was also a beautiful like period of awakening and opening my eyes to how limiting my profession as a psychotherapist was and how limited I was in that profession. Did you realize at the time that it wasn't just a geographical thing? Did you realize that as much as you were helping clearly a lot of people, I didn't realize your practice was that big. Did you realize at that time, or maybe not to the d- degree that you do now, but did you know that it was more than just geographical, that if you would break away from that, you would be helping not just more people all over the world, but in a bigger capacity because you'd have more freedom? No, I didn't because I had to do... So from the time I, I, I made that utterance to my friend to really December and this month, um, we're in January 2023 now when my license is fully being released at the end of month, 
I've had to go through this journey of unpacking all of that. So I didn't realize how limited I was, how controlled I was by my license with what I ha- what I could say, what I could do, how I could practice. I had to go on a journey myself to peeling back all of these layers and realizing, having this awareness of how deeply indoctrinated I was in the rules and regulations and limitations of being a therapist. Mm. And I had to unpack all of those and those experiences before I could get to this point of being like, oh my gosh, I... Um, I've been talking to people about it. And with my license, I felt like a caged bird. Mm-hmm. And then in 2021, I actually inactivated my license. So I had to pay to inactivate my license. So it was still technically there, but it wasn't, I wasn't actively practicing. And I tell people during those two years, so 2021 to now, I felt like a bird that was out of the cage, but like on a, on a, a branch tethered to it with my wings clipped. I still couldn't fly. And i feel like I'm finally going to be able to soar and reach the heights that I'm meant to reach and reach the people and have the expansiveness um, within myself and then within other people. Because on this journey, um, we can only lead people as deep as we lead ourselves. And so because I've gone through this journey and gone so deep, I feel like, oh, I'm meant to help people go so much deeper in their own journeys as well. Yes. And what I was, what was just coming to me as you were talking right now was so similar to what you just said. And it was that until you're fully free, how could you help me be fully free? Even if you're trained and you are educated and you know how to help me, if you are still tethered, but you don't tell me that, I'm going to energetically somehow feel that and you're going to know it. Absolutely. And it does. It, it's it's an energetic connection or disconnection. And people don't always understand why they aren't linking or connecting with somebody, but it is that energy piece of there's something hidden within me. And as I shared on my social media a couple of weeks ago, and as I'll continue to share even before this releases and, and after those pieces of my journey that were so traumatic to becoming a therapist, and while I was a therapist that were so traumatic for me, those held me back from guiding people deeper through their trauma. So I had to do that work to unpack it. And that's why the only viable decision for me was to release this license. That's the only thing I could do to be completely authentic with myself and with the people I'm meant to serve. Can you help us, even though this really isn't a talk about your profession, I do think, I just because I'm interested, and I bet you someone listening is interested, maybe name one or two or three things that you can do and say now that you couldn't, like, how did you still feel kind of tethered? Yeah, so I was still bound by the rules and regulations um, and the laws of being a therapist. So at any time, if I were to post something online or if I were to say something to a client, they could still file a complaint against my license. The board could still go onto my account and say they didn't like something I, I wrote and still sanction me for that because I had ethics that I had to live by even beyond my office space, even out in public. Like if we get... I mean, just for example, this has never happened to me, but if you get a DUI as a therapist, you have to stand in front of the board. You're not just dealing with the legal system. You're standing in front of the board and and basically telling them why you should be able to keep your license. Yeah, that seems reasonable to me. Mm-hmm. But like, what's something you would say on social media now that you couldn't say before that is not something just like, so, not something that could ever hurt you or anyone else? Yeah, I would I would tell people how traumatizing it is to be a therapist. <laughs> I love how it. <laughs> actually actually traumatizing it is. And I would also say that something you may not know is that 
therapists in their schooling, the majority of people aren't required to do any therapy. So your therapist may never have sat in a patient role in therapy because my school did not require us to do any therapy as part of our training. Yeah. Okay. And so if you had said that, you would be dinged for that. See, that pisses me off because that's not you being critical. That's you you saying something that is literal. It's true. It's a fact. And you could even say no opinion about it, but just say, did you know? And that would be a problem. Isn't that interesting? See, that reminds me of like big pharma with physicians. That's so frustrating. So you know this because you know my family and you've worked with two of my adult children, but my oldest daughter, Jessica, is in graduate school right now becoming a therapist. And we talk a lot about, of course, I would support whatever she wants to do, um, but I love that she is very enlightened and is really having an awakening right now. And she's watching us and parents, if you have kids, I know Kara would agree the biggest gift you can give to your children is to save yourself and to heal yourself because we haven't said to Jessica, you should, you should. She just has watched the work that I've been doing and she's curious. And we were talking about her graduate program and she has a few friends who I love who are her dearest, closest friends who are wonderful people, very intelligent. They're in this program with her. So they're out of college, studied psychology in graduate school with her and She's the only one who goes to a therapist. And I'm like, wait, you've got to be freaking kidding me. So your friend in before she's out of graduate school is going to start taking clients. And she's not gone to therapy since she was 10 years old. And that was just to talk about her parents' divorce. Are you, it's crazy to me. It is. It's absolutely insane. And, and there are people that say, well, they shouldn't make people do therapy. And it's like, well, no, I, I get that. Like you shouldn't force anybody. However, if you're going into this profession, the majority of us are going into it because we actually are seeking to find some resolution for ourselves. Yes. I mean, that's why so many of us go into therapy is we're like, we need to figure this out. And we have a desire to also help pe- other people figure it out um, through our journeys. But the education system is teaching you facts. It's teaching you very logic. It's teaching you constructs and theories, but there's very little application. And so if you come out of grad school with just those concepts and those theories without ever having to apply them yourself, it's very hard for you to connect with your clients and teach them what it looks like to apply them because you haven't had to do it yourself. Well, yeah. Can you imagine a nutritionist who's only lived on processed junk food and she's telling me, teaching me and coaching me and mentoring me on how to eat healthy and I didn't realize she's never eaten an apple? I mean, it's just to me that is... That right there should be sanctioned. That right there to me is reckless. I mean, I'm, I'm feeling very passionate about this. I mean, here's the other thing. So let's, we've talked about this on BU before. If, if you're listening and you've been listening to this show, this isn't new for you, but it's still worth revisiting. If you are new to this show, this may surprise you. But let's talk for a minute about, um, the, the part of therapy, the education and training as a therapist that just completely ignores the body. Because that's the other thing, Jessica, my daughter and I have been talking about. I didn't discover, I didn't even hear hear the word somatic until two and a half years ago. I was in therapy for seven years with someone with two PhDs. And you know, it's not easy to get two PhDs. And brilliant therapist, loved him. He also was a teacher of Course in Miracles, who was very spiritual, had a PhD in philosophy, psychology, amazing. And never used the word trauma, never did any body work with me, never talked about reconnecting with my body. Like it just was never mentioned. And then I had my, one of my awakenings was when I found a coach who said, 
the word get into your, the term get into your body. And I'm like, what are you even talking about? So let's talk about the fact that there are accomplished therapists like you who are coaching and mentoring people who are sometimes quite troubled and struggling in their life and they never even connect them to their body because they're disconnected from their body. Like we could talk for five hours about this. We could talk for weeks on this. And and the, the fact of the matter is, Jill, the programs that teach therapists to be therapists, like the program I went through, like the program your daughter is going through, they only teach empirically studied information and, and theories and, and constructs. Somatic therapy is not empirically studied yet. Actually, the nervous system dynamics um, work of Stephen Porges and the, the somatic work is still considered controversial and not proven to be effective. What? <laughs> and here's the thing. And that's the way that it is because psychology is science and science is logic and logic is the brain and logic can be tested and can be proven. The body work and the somatic work that I do that it sounds like your new coach, your coach has done that um, so many people that it's getting so big right now is not considered empirically studied. We haven't, there hasn't been enough research, um, enough longitudinal research. There hasn't been things that like they can specifically measure to prove its effectiveness. And so that's why the programs don't teach it because they're only going to teach what is known Mm -hmm. and what's been around forever and quite honestly is is quite outdated. Here's what's interesting to me too. Okay, I get that. So then when you sit down with a therapist, why is it not required by whoever governs therapists for them to say, what I'm going to get in with you as long as you're willing to be my client is scientifically studied but science also shows us that you'll probably keep coming to therapy and never get out of your loop. <laughs> because that would, I mean, that would just <laughs> defy psychology. And so here's the dilemma. Like this really is the dilemma, Jill, is like I had to do a three-year program outside of my graduate studies to do the somatic training that I did. Like I had to go out and pay for another three-year program to study somatics. And I did the yoga certifications and I did a lot of meditation certifications that really helped bring in the body. But psychology is psyche. It's up here. It's in the head. Yeah, It's not in the body. So it's not clinically proven. So a lot of people don't think that people need to get into the body. Hopefully they're seeing a lot of what we're seeing now and recognizing there is this need for it. We have a lot of people that are more awakened and more enlightened to the the role the body plays. And we have some brilliant... um, scientists and scientific therapists or um, psychiatrists and things like that, that are doing some of this work and have been doing it for many years, but it's just now, I mean, the polyvagal theory, Stephen Porges came up with that in the nineties, but it's just now hitting and getting super popular. And, and Peter Levine, who does somatic experiencing, who is who I trained under for that. He's been doing this work since the, I think the seventies. But again, it's just becoming big now. Just now catching on. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the polyvagal theory. I want to talk a little bit about that. And I also want to take a little bunny trail. I am not of your caliber and I don't, I'm not trained or educated in what you are. Um, So I'm just observing as an observer of that world. The only psychologist that I see out there therapist out there who's talking the talk that you are talking, who is a trained and educated therapist and not just a coach, because you're both, is Dr. Nicola Para. 
the holistic psychologist? Are there other psychologists out there or therapists, I should say, psychotherapists who have the education, but they are all about the body and they also have sort of walked away from traditional therapy that you know of that maybe you could throw some names out? There absolutely are. I, I can't throw out some names right now because here's what I'll tell you. We as therapists are very people people. So like doing the social media thing is pretty challenging for us. Doing the the tech piece of that is really challenging. And like I said, the licensure thing scares mm. a lot of people away from doing any of that. Okay, okay. Um, so I can't name any names. I'll definitely think of some. Maybe you can put them in the show notes later. But there are plenty of other therapists out there doing amazing work with the body as yeah. well as the trauma cycle and things like that. Well, that's okay because you're the one on our show and we want to promote you. So forget those people. Thank uh, you. But Thanks. I do think, and I've mentioned her before, she's my dream guest one day. I do I encourage you if you're listening, well, you're clearly listening, who is listening to also find Dr. Nicola Para. I mean, she has a PhD, she's brilliant. And she also walked away from being a traditional therapist and for the same reasons. And I will tell you a couple things. So a couple things that people also don't know is PhD level therapists versus master's level have different boards. And so they have different rules and regs. So like people who are PhD or PsyDs, they have a national certification, not just a, a state one. So they may have a bigger umbrella to feel safer to share more content like that than some. And again, each state is different as well. So Arizona is a little bit harsher. So. Okay, before we talk about polyvagal theory, which we didn't even think we were going to talk about, for someone who is new to this, maybe just a kindergarten quick explanation. What do you mean by somatic work? And what do you mean about connecting to the body as opposed to traditional talk therapy? Yeah, so soma, somatic comes from the Greek word soma, which, which means of the body. So this is where we, we start to feel our body. And so often we are walking around detached where we don't even feel our hand burning on the stove until we have to think about it till we see it. So this really is about getting into the body and feeling where when I have an emotion coming up, what am I experiencing in my body? Is my heart fluttering? Is my stomach clenching? Is my whole body tensing and all my muscles tensing? Like we start to notice and bring connection between the mind and the body between the thoughts and the, the body um, sensations that are happening. And we start to peel those back. When have you felt this way before? When did you tighten up your whole body and, and clench everything up? And we start to lead that back to old patterns of self-protection and how this is how we kept ourselves safe. We had to always brace for the next attack. Mm -hmm. And I know this is not easy to do, but another kindergarten quick explanation of why. Why do people detach from their body to begin with? Because it is such a weird concept. When someone first said to me, Steph's like, that's because you can't do an Australian accent. You're detached from your body. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm not. <laughs> like, what do you mean? I just didn't get it. It took a while to really get it. But so you've explained that. Why do we detach from our body? Because someone might be going, yeah, I don't think I ever detached. The very simple and easy answer is safety and self-protection. We do that because if you think of an animal running on the Sahara, being chased by, you know, a wild cat or whatever, they don't want to feel themselves dying. If a gazelle gets caught in the clenches of a, a leopard, it doesn't want to feel itself dying. So it shuts down all of its processes. It detaches from its body. We do the same thing. If we've experienced trauma or stress to such a high degree, our body, we don't want to feel that way. 
So we detach, we go into the mind. What can I think about? What can I do instead? What can I, how can I fix this? Versus feeling the pain and the discomfort of being attacked or of being bullied or of being uh, called names or neglected. Mm -hmm. And we don't do that consciously. It's like a self-protection It's like a self-cleaning oven sort of thing. So as a child, maybe I didn't have that bad of a life at all, but maybe I had an older sibling that just always picked on me. And after a while, my body was like, yeah, this is a bit too much. I'm just going to disassociate and and let you just float around out there in La La Land for a little while until the bullying's over. And then the problem is we go into adulthood and we don't understand why we're still doing that and nothing bad is happening. It becomes such an automatic pattern that we we can't even consciously decide. Like our body starts to feel something similar. It starts to feel similar responses. Like we know what to do. We do this. We shut down. We disconnect because we don't want to feel this way. So that's the process of the body having an automatic response that we need to slow down. We work to slow that down to increase the window of tolerance so we can start being more conscious of this decision of, oh, I'm feeling really overwhelmed right now. I'm looking to to disconnect from my body and from this real experience in whatever way I do that. Let me slow this down. Let me see if I can feel it for just another second before my body does that. And we start to create space in between the automatic responses so that we can gain a little bit more control over them. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I actually misunderstood until about a year into this is that because I was so, you know, hyper vigilant and so hyper aroused and hyper everything. I hyper-regulated, I guess I would say, if that's a word. I thought the whole goal was to constantly be regulated, constantly be calm, constantly be chill. And after about a year, I was like, hold on a minute. No, I'm supposed to be able to roll with the ups and the downs and expand that window of tolerance and be able to feel all the feelings of being upset, being angry, being anxious, whatever, and being able to regulate back into that homeostasis. I That to me was life-changing when I figured that out. Yeah. So expanding our window of tolerance doesn't mean that we don't feel those things. It just means that we don't spike into hyperarousal or into hypoarousal as quickly, that we feel them and we allow ourselves to feel them and move through them. Because our fight and flight response, our sympathetic or our self-protection, we need those in case we are actually in danger. We can actually run and flee that situation. We need those responses. What we're trying to do is not live in those responses. Amen. That's so good. I would ask you to even say that one more time because that right there is, I mean, it would change someone's life if they really got what you just said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're looking to to be able to flow with the the natural rhythm of our fight and flight, our sympathetic and our parasympathetic. We don't want to live in sympathetic. We don't want to live in fight and flight. We want to be able to feel it, experience it, and move through it so that we can release it. Mm -hmm. And that we need it sometimes. Oh, absolutely. You need that fight or flight to kick in when you need it. I mean, it's it's there for a reason. The problem is you said you don't want to live there. And I lived there. You know my story. I mean, I lived in fight or flight. I don't even know for how long, but let's just look at my adulthood. You know, when I was raising children, I was in fight or flight all the time and I had no idea. And I see people now in my own life, friends of mine, and they are too. And I can't, you can't walk up and say, hey, sister, you're in fight or flight. But, you know, the constant just do, 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 go, 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 you know, constantly doing something, constantly achieving something, um, hyper aroused, easily triggered, constantly on edge, 
always thinking the worst situation was was coming. Now, someone might hear that and say, I don't think that way, so I'm not in fight or flight. So that was me. That doesn't mean it's you. And I lived that way for so long. And then I wondered why at one point I physically crashed and I would be in bed for two or three days. Well, and, and that's absolutely, that's a great point because somebody might say, hey, I don't live that way all the time. Like, but what happens is if we are in fight and flight for too long, it overwhelms the system and we do crash, we collapse, we go into dorsal vagal, we go into the collapse state or the shutdown to where again, our body is self-protecting. So it's disconnected from all that feeling. So your body's still actually in fight and flight. It's just also pressing on the brake at the same time. So it's living in that. It's mm. almost like if you press the gas and your brake pedal in your car at the same time and it revs, it still revs, but it's not going anywhere. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So what is this polyvagal theory that you mentioned? Sure. So polyvagal theory is a theory came, that came out of Stephen Porges, a Dr. Stephen Porges. And it comes from the, the vagus nerve, which goes from the brain all the way down through the body. It's the largest nerve in the system. There's 80% of that nerve of those messages from the nerve go from the body to the brain and 20% from the brain down. So what this tells us is that our body is often sensing before the thought is creating, which kind of contradicts CBT theory, which says thought then behavior. Um, this is mind blowing. This is a huge awareness for us to have is that our body is, is constantly seeking out s- sensations and um, stimuli from the, the surrounding environment. And then from that sends a message to the brain and the brain creates uh, a meaning to that sensation. And when we can recognize this, when we can feel it, we can feel into our body, we can then begin to create a new meaning to it. See, I love this. This was a big deal when I learned this about a year ago when I became certified as a trauma-informed coach. I do know coaching, but I did the course for my own growth because I just was so, so fascinated by finally understanding (laughs) that my body was a huge piece to my healing, if not the piece. But the part that is so fascinating about what you just said is that we are taught, especially with all the mindset work, which I was so good at for so long, It's all about your thoughts control your reality. Your thoughts control your reality. Okay, yeah, but we didn't realize that our body is feeding those thoughts. It's the opposite of what we're taught. It is in some respect. And and both theories have their place because not everybody's ready to go right into the body. So that's where CBT and the the thought processes work because it helps introduce people into it because we have to meet people where they are. And if somebody is super logical, me coming in and saying, let's do embodiment work. Let's get into your body. Like you said, what does that mean? They have to be taught. So we have to, we have to feed the brain a little bit to help them get into their body. So both theories are good. Okay. This makes sense because I know my husband's listening. So we had the same coach and I was always like, why is he not doing any body work with you? Why is he doing all the body work with me? I literally just said this yesterday. I was like, so like, what'd you guys do? And I, and of course I trust this coach immensely. Clearly he has a plan that makes sense to him and he's highly trained. This is why my husband is so logic oriented and everything has to make sense in his head. He cannot like, even if I, if I say anything before even responding, he's thinking, well, hold on. How was that going to work? And what is it? He's just constantly processing thoughts. So it must be why Steph has not done a lot without him yet. Yeah, we need to get people on board with it. And if people are super logical and they can't understand embodiment work to begin with, they're going to shut down. 
it's it's going to go wasted. They're not going to show up for appointments anymore. Or they're they're not going to do anything. So we need to help do the education piece that will then help them slowly integrate into the body. Okay. What's another reason? Because I know someone who started working with a therapist who's also a coach and they started to do some embodiment work and she's like, I, I don't get it. I don't, it makes me uncomfortable. I get jittery. I don't like it. And it wasn't because she's so logical, but for her, it's because there was so much trauma in her body and that she wasn't aware of. Could you maybe talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So sometimes people become too activated and the, the activation, like I said, then it triggers the overwhelm, which then triggers the shutdown. So if people aren't able to to get to a point of being able to regulate out of that, if they, if, if they are at a point where they get so activated that their nervous system literally shuts itself down, we have to build some tools and some skills first before we can go into the activation because otherwise it's just going to continue to do the circle of activation, shutdown, activation, shutdown, and there's not going to be any space created. Mm -hmm. So at times people and their body, they're just not ready to go into that. And they need a little bit more of the education piece. They need a little bit more of the, the slow processing of it. Like this is somatic work can go very quickly, but it also can be a very slow process of peeling back the layers to get ourselves ready to get our body and our nervous system ready to feel safe going into the body. Somebody with an extensive trauma history, their body isn't a safe place. So we can't just deep dive into it. So we call this a pendulation. We call this titration where we peel back layers and then we come up to regulation and then we go a little bit deeper and we come up to regulation and we create this, this dynamic of going in a little bit and then coming out a little bit and then going in a little bit. And this creates that trust with the body to feel safe. And to know that, hey, we're going to go in and we're going to feel some stuff, but we're going to come back out and we're going to regulate and we're going to be safe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it just gives that process of feeling safe and trusting um, the body again and trusting the body, trusting us again as well. Mm -hmm. And I remember someone saying that if trauma is too much, too soon, too fast, then your healing cannot be too much, too soon, too fast. Exactly. And this is why I preach over and over again on this show that if you are going to be courageous enough, and I commend you if you are, to find a coach to work with or a practitioner of any kind, you've got to do your, sorry, fucking homework, that they are trained, that they know what they're doing, because this is no joke. Like if you may have trauma that you ha have no recollection of whatsoever from when you were even in utero, but let's say when you were a toddler or whatever, your, your mind blocked it out to protect you, let's say. And you start working with Sally, who's newly certified and, you know, she's got a great IG following and she has no idea how to really hold you and hold that trauma or, or get you back, as you said, you know, into that out of activation. I mean, I'm not an expert, but I'm trained enough to know that's not something to play around with. And that's why I, I've said this to you before. I know you say thank you for the referrals, but I refer people to you because I know you are so educated and trained in this because there are a lot of people holding a lot of shit. And you can't just go to any old coach. You can go to a coach for like, I want help with like creating great habits. And I want help with holding me accountable for a great morning routine. Do you have help for me to create some business goals? Like coaching is, there's so many coaches out there. But if you're going to get into trauma, they better be trauma-informed and know what they're doing. 
Absolutely. And that's a piece that was something that I really consider about transitioning into just coaching out of out of therapy is that dynamic of it. Because there are a lot of people, what's really important about what you just said is really understanding their certifications, where they got them. Because honestly, a certification is just a piece of paper. Yes. Somebody amen. decided somebody decided to, to create a program. And what was their what, what's their basis on creating that program? Like, how are they trained to create that program as well to do this certification? But people are so attached to their certifications. I almost never use my, my the letters behind my name. I have over like 20 of them and I almost <laughs> never use them because again, they're just letters and they're just expensive pieces of paper. It's really about the education. Like I have like the ability to be licensed. Like I, I have to respect that. And I have to respect that I went to these these trainings and these years of experience, like, but not everybody has that. Not everybody's training is or certification is actually as in depth as other people's. And so it's really mm-hmm. understanding what type of certification people have. Yeah. I heard Christine Hassler also say on her show recently or on some interview recently, and I have a lot of respect for Christine. She said the other thing is people may have a lot of certifications, but they were never trained. Like they do it all online and they learn it in their brain. They're learning about somatics in their brain and then they're going to go work on people's bodies. And she's like, it's, you've got to have the, the, cause I have, I don't even know what it was, 300 hours or something of actual embodiment practices where I was, and I was coached by and coaching other people for, you know, nine months. But I didn't realize that that's not normal in a lot of these coaching certifications. And that goes back to you know what we were talking about, but the, this logic piece is so much of these educational systems. I mean, even my master's program, like yes, we had internships and practicums, but my they were kind of my practicum. I learned how to file papers. Like I didn't actually work with clients. Like it's there's so much that is just this logical piece of do this, do that, do that. The step work, mm-hmm. and very seldom does any appointment I ever have had in my entire life go as based on a step work process because we're people. We have emotions, we have experiences, we have things that come up. And it's not a do this, then this, then this, then this type of thing. It's not that type of work. That's not how healing works. It doesn't work linearly. It's such a cyclical nature. So yeah, it really is about having that experience of the education is the mindset piece, but then we need to go in and apply it in a way where we are also being observed, being, you know, educated on, well, you, this could have gone a little bit differently, or when we do this, we could do that. During my somatic program, we did have that as part of the the program. First of all, we did it at, at the events. We had every afternoon where we would do these triads and these dyads of exactly what you were talking about, of, of doing the somatic work with other, other people in the training while we had a trained professional viewing us, we also had a number of sessions that we had to do one-on-one with a a trained professional as well. So it is, it's that application piece that's so important. Okay. And can you go back to something that it's just so normal for you, I know, and the word is not a rare or complicated or complex word, but the way it's used in this conversation, I think some people many people I would assume would be like, hey, what does that mean? When you say activation, what do you mean by that? Because you talked about my nervous system being activated and you talked about when you're working with me, I'm going into activation and out. What does that mean? That means that that sympathetic, that fight or flight response, that heightened response of hypervigilance, of 
wanting to to flee a situation or wanting to become angry. Like if we're in a conversation and we, we might become activated, that might be our, our heart rate elevates. We maybe talk, start talking louder or even yell at that. That's that activation piece of I'm ready to go. I'm ready to fight or I'm ready to flee this situation. Okay. So let's take a, a little turn here. W- when you're thinking of a woman who I would say is our average listener, who is a little more sophisticated than the average person when it comes to their inner work. They are really looking at themselves. They're pretty clear about what their internal dialogue has been, what those stories were from childhood, subconscious stories that were holding them back. They've, you know, done a fair amount of personal development. Maybe they've done a little Tony Robbins. And and they're also learning more about somatic work and doing some basic practices at home, which we talk about on the, you'd be very proud of me. We talk about this on the show regularly, like even just sitting and breathing and just holding your hand on your heart, your other hand on your belly button and just saying, I am safe. And just little basic little things, but she's doing that pretty regularly. She's doing like maybe some like anger release once a week or once a month. She's moving her body and dancing. So she's more than the average bear. Okay, so that would say that's that's probably our average listener. What would you recommend that she could do if she doesn't have a coach to really take it up a notch to explore something that would increase the work that she's doing, but in a really enjoyable, fun way, not super heavy and deep? Because I saw you do a little dancing on your Instagram the other day, and I was like, I think that's something we should probably get into is. Even if you weren't thinking of that, tell, what would you what would you recommend to her? Something that's fun and enjoyable, but it gives like packs a punch with your growth. Yeah, so that's going to be a piece where the dancing you, you mentioned dancing is such a huge part for me is is feeling into my body, letting the music and letting my body tell me how to move and tell how to how to flow and how to do that. And that can be really fun and enjoyable. Anything you can do with your body, um, finger painting, getting into like in, into finger painting or I was hiking yesterday up in Sedona and it was snowy. And then at the top of the mountain, it was muddy. I'm like, oh, I wish I could just take my shoes off and walk in this mud. Anything that's like tactile, that's like just getting us into getting us out of the seriousness and getting us into the playfulness. There is so much healing that comes in playfulness because us, especially as adults, we're always like, okay, I need to do this. I need to be productive. Like, blah, blah, blah. There's all of these things. But when we can strip that away and we can start to play more, we start to open and create um, sensations in the body that really allow us to remember what it is like to to be in that inner child, to be that that fun, loving version of us. And this is our power. This is our creativity. Um, in the work I do, I do a lot of chakra work. So this is that sacral, that Svadhisthana chakra, which is all about emotions and flow and fun and sensuality. So anything you can do that brings in any of those things will bring you deeper into your body, which will then show you, your body will then show you, oh, this isn't comfortable. Oh, isn't that interesting? This isn't comfortable. How can I um, explore that a little bit more? Maybe I'm not comfortable playing. Oh, what, what else is that preventing me from doing? It's preventing me from showing up in a, in a lighter, more lighthearted way. It's preventing me from being more intimate with my partner in a playful way. It's preventing me from exploring deeper intimacy with friendships or with partnerships or things like that. And so it's really allowing ourselves to enjoy and be in pleasure and be in fun a little bit more. 
That's so interesting because I think as an outsider, if we look at that, we might think that playfulness and creativity and all that and sensuality, that's just like a break or like a distraction from the seriousness, not realizing that that can be just as healing. It can be more healing. Honestly, like the most powerful, and I know this wasn't going this way, but the most powerful energy that we we hold is the energy of an orgasm. Honestly, and let's that's talk pleasure. About that. Yeah, let's that talk is, about that. That is pleasure. And so we can make change and we can grow and we can, we have two motivators in life, pain or pleasure. So many of us choose to be motivated by pain. I don't want to feel that way or I'm in pain. So let me get out of pain. What if we, what if we invited ourselves to be motivated by pleasure? What brings me more pleasure? What brings me more joy? What brings me more fun and allow ourselves to focus on that and invite that in? I mean, just think of our lives if we invite more pleasure in and how powerful that can be. Mm -hmm. Okay, so two things here. One, so for my life, I looked at this new year and not from a logical place, but I really, really felt into what is my, what does my soul need? What does my body need? What is going to be this new year? And this year for me, Kara is, I mean, it was very, became very clear to me that it was to be focused on play, creativity, fun. And the other word that came to me was boundaries because I would need to have boundaries to do that. And also it started out though that I just needed a break from quote unquote, the work. I mean, everything's the work, right? But I had gone so deep for the past couple years and worked so hard. And yes, I'm proud that I did that, but I just needed a fucking break. I'm like, I just want to live my life. I just want to have fun. I just want to... But here's what I realized that it's what you're saying. Obviously, I I trust you. So I believe you. But I'm saying to the listener, I am feeling what she's saying because this year so far in focusing on play and fun and not quote unquote doing the work, it is the work. In fact, as I was meditating, what came to me was, I don't know the exact line. I have to pull up my journal, but it was something like for you, Jill, not doing the inner work is the inner work. Like that's going to be your challenge this year of not being so serious and just playing and allowing yourself to just integrate and be and also have fun and play, which is so foreign to me. I've always joked that I'm really funny, but I don't have fun very often. (laughs) I've not allowed myself to have fun. So there's that. And the other part is that when you talk, you mentioned orgasm, you talked about sensuality, you talked about pleasure. What I've realized is that I have a friend who she and her her business partner, that's all they focus on in their coaching practice is sex and sensuality and desire and pleasure. And she says, it's the last stop for most women. It's the last stop. And I thought it was the last stop for me just because, oh, it's uncomfortable. But I think it's also the last stop because of what you said. Like I had to do all that other work to be ready for that. Absolutely, because you have to feel safe. I mean, to give yourself to release during a sexual experience, right? Like you have to feel safe within yourself. You have to feel safe within your partnership. And if we're talking about trauma and we're talking about not feeling safe in our bodies, we're not going to feel safe to release and have the power of that orgasm flow through us. It's just not, we're just not going to feel safe because we can't feel safe with our partner if we don't feel safe with ourselves to release and let be. The other thing I wanted to say about what you're talking about doing the work and how inviting and play and playfulness is, is you said it like doing the work is, is masculine energy. It's doing, 
It's, it's that logical doing. I need to do this, this, and this, right? And through play and sensuality and fun, we invite ourselves, invite ourselves into the moment, into, you know, being here, into being present with ourselves and with whoever, whatever we're doing. And being present is where so much healing and work gets done because that's what our goal is. We want to be present. We don't want to be thinking about what happened 10 years ago. We don't want to be worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow. Today is here. The presence is here. This is what we're focusing on. This is where we want to be, is living in this moment and enjoying it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. Absolutely. I mean, if we, it, I truly could have gone on for hours with you. I love talking to you. I love learning from you. It's this is a conversation. We, you know, we didn't plan what we were going to say. And it just flowed in the most beautiful way. We've pretty much run the gamut. Yep. <laughs> and congratulations on being so courageous to truly, I mean, relinquish, I guess I'll call certification, that you worked so hard for. And it, it so much was attached to that. Yeah. And, and so many people, it's so funny that you said that because that's what I keep hearing is you worked so hard for it. And it's like, well, yeah, that hard work doesn't go away. Like, it doesn't mean that I didn't do it. Like, yeah, I worked hard for it, but it didn't define me. It doesn't have to define me anymore. Like, I still did all that hard work. It's still valuable and valid. I just don't need the piece of paper telling me that it's okay for me to do this work. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought we were done, but I want to share one thing. So I used to be a registered nurse. And when I relinquished my license, I, I mean, people could not believe you worked so hard for that. You and I, I, unlike you, wasn't going to go into nursing in a different capacity. I was walking away completely. And they were like, but what if, but what if? And I said, that's why I'm getting rid of it. Because I'm burning that fucking bridge. I am done. That was a former life. I'm proud of myself. I'm glad I did it. But the person I am today cannot be attached to that whatsoever. And it's such an empowering, freeing thing to do. And having that choice and that agency to make that decision for yourself and know that it doesn't matter what other people think. It's you can make this decision for you and it doesn't have to make sense to anybody else as long as it makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. So you know that I highly recommend you. I refer people to you regularly. I've entrusted you with two of my children. And I mean, for people who have children, you know that that's a really big deal. So I highly, highly endorse you. Will you explain to someone... Because there might be someone listening who's even afraid to have a discovery call. They're so ready for that sales pitch. They're so worried that they're going to get roped in, which is not how you work. But but just maybe pretend this is a discovery call. And I say, okay, I think I'm interested. How does it work? Yeah. So I always do actually two calls. So I do a connection call where we just get to know each other. I just talk to you. You just tell me like about yourself, what's going on, and we get to know each other. And then I invite you if I feel like it's a good container and it's a good a good fit to an enrollment call where I then share about the different programs and options that I that I carry that I do. Um, I do one on one coaching in a six month container, I did extend it to six months recently, because I realized that like, it's just too deep of work to do in a shorter container. So I am doing a six month container of three calls each month. Um, and then we do have the option to extend. I also for somebody maybe a little bit further along or somebody that I've maybe worked with in the past, I do Voxer only coaching or somebody just seeking like a, an embodied business pro- coaching. I do just Voxer coaching, which is over um, a walkie talkie app or you know texting, which is just offering some support and some guidance in creating the business or in maintaining the work that we've already done together. I'm also adding more group programs. I'm doing more live events, um, retreats this year. Um, that are inviting people into smaller containers that maybe feel a little bit safer to start with. Um, 
to get to know me and get to know like my style of coaching and things like that um, before maybe committing to a longer term process. Oh, I love that. And so, and you're in Arizona, you're close to Sedona, close to Phoenix, and you have a retreat coming up. When is that again? I do. Um, I have the Goddess Activation Retreat, March 2nd through the 5th. This is where we are going all into the the divine feminine in our body, really activating our power source, really working on that sacral chakra, spending some time on the land, spending some time in such body nourishing and embodiment activities to really just help us invite ourselves to get into that essence of who we are as women. Mm, that's going to be really good. And um, I love that you're doing the Voxer coaching. So that's for someone who's already done quite a bit of work and they just sort of, sort of want support and maintenance and accountability and maybe, hey, can I run this by you kind of a thing, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. And all different price points, I'm assuming, for everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and I love that you're doing some group coaching too, because I know a lot of people are, it's really intimidating to work one-on-one with someone and they're just not quite ready to go that deep and be seen like that. I was afraid at first. It's like, you're really seen. There's no hiding. But in a group, it feels a little safer and you can kind of start like in the kiddie pool. <laughs> Yeah. And it's so funny because some people are complete opposite and only want individual because they don't feel safe to be in a group. So it just depends on what's going on in our experiences and maybe some past traumas and things like that. But group work is so magical because we realize we're not alone. We realize that we're all in this together. We all have similar experiences. And although they may not be the same, we can feel relatable to other people. Mm -hmm. And last question, if I'm your client and I live where I live, let's say in Indiana, And let's say I'm in a six-month container with you. Can I do some of those sessions in person if I'm willing to pay for the flight to come meet you? Will you do some of those in person? Yeah, absolutely. I have definitely had people come here and we've gone out on the land and done hikes and done meditations and cacao and things like that in my house. Absolutely. Mm, I love that because one thing I have permission to say this, my daughter who coaches with you loves the in-person work that you'll do Reiki, you'll do, you've gone on hikes together it's made such a difference in her life. And I'm I'm super grateful for you. And I also want to say too, you are worth way more than you charge. So if you ever decide to <laughs> increase your prices drastically, I will support that because you are worth it. And I appreciate that you're so accessible to people because a lot of people, they can, it's not that they don't value it. They cannot, you know, write a check for $50,000 to coach with somebody. And I love that you also do, do you still do the monthly payments? Yes. Yes. Okay. I love that you offer that. So absolutely. And I also wanted to say for the Reiki piece of it, Reiki can be done distance. So I always do Reiki with with people distance as well. And it can be just as powerful too. Okay. I forgot. I have to say that because you've done that with me. So you did Reiki with me. I know it sounds so woo woo and weird, you guys, but I am telling you, we did it where we were on the phone. No, we weren't even on the phone, were we? We weren't even on the phone. I was like, don't you need like the phone connection? And she's like, nope. And I physically felt it. Okay, so now we've freaked a few people out. Let's just bring them back before we hang up here. Like, what in the world is that? That's not voodoo. It's all safe. But what is it? Let me tell you, the woman who's cleaning my house right now, Angie, if you're listening, I love you. Angie is a devout Christian. Her husband's a pastor. And she just said to me, oh, I love Reiki. Because some people who are religious are so afraid of Reiki. And she's like, oh, no, no, it's just God's power. So tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so it's not connected to a religion. It's really an energetic practice that comes out of, it's it's a Japanese energetic practice for, technically, they call it stress reduction. But what it is, is it's connecting to the higher energy body. So again, I know this is woo-woo, everybody, but bear with me. Like, 
we have different frequencies that we we live in and that we 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 have our energy in and so i by connecting to you because i know you is i will often do reiki on zoom so i can see the person but because i know you so well like i knew i was able to connect with your energy without needing a visual construct so I just connect with your higher energy. My higher energy connects with your higher energy and we transmute life force energy, which is all around us all the time. Everything around us constantly has life force. So you just get an extra boost of life force energy into your body and then your body does with it what it's going to do with it. So if I have somebody on the table, I can be working on their head, but they're feeling tingling in their toes because their, bo- their body is transmuting and taking that energy where it needs to go to have the healing and the, the relaxation properties that it needs to go. See, this is why I call you the Swiss Army knife. <laughs> You're like the inspector <laughs> gadget of therapists. I mean, you guys, she can do anything. It's like, hiya, how about this? Hiya. She doesn't tell you everything she's trained in, but no, it is pretty amazing because you're trained. I mean, yoga, Reiki. I mean, name a few of them meditation, chakra work, yeah, somatic, yoga nidra, all of it. Yeah. Plus all the stuff that isn't physical, like, you know, inner child healing and all the stuff the land journeys and doing a lot of hiking and things like that, which may not seem healing, but so powerful, so powerful. Because I believe in a holistic approach. I believe in the mind, the body and the spirit. And when we're talking about those three things, they all need different tools. Mm-hmm. Amen, sister. So to heal the whole person to work on this holistic approach, I had to dive deep in my own journey. And then I got trained in those things as well. Those things that I found helpful for me. Okay, I'm going to throw a question at you as we close here. I've never asked anyone this because it's so predictable and so cheesy, but I'm going to ask it. How would you define what does it mean to be you? That's such an amazing question. And I've been asked it before. And the thing that always comes up for me is love. I, when I think of me, I think of love. I'm here to give love. I'm here to share love. I'm here to help other people love themselves and be able to love each other and just transmute this love energy. That's the frequency that I really resonate with is just is love. Mm, I love it. We just have to sift through a lot of shit to get there. (laughs) Yes, yes, we do. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks so much, Kara. And you are on Instagram is is that where you love for people to find you on Instagram? Yeah, Instagram is the easiest. I do have a website, you can definitely contact me through that I can give that to you as well if you don't have that. But Instagram is the place to be Kara Elizabeth C-A-R-A-H Elizabeth dot com. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much. I'm sure we'll see you back next year. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you so much.